This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Whether it's a hurricane in Haiti or tornado in Perryville, a typhoon in the Philippines, or a tsunami in Indonesia, Lutherans respond with mercy. The LCMS Disaster Response Team helps provide material assistance as well as spiritual help to victims of disasters. The disaster teams work closely with local congregations and missionaries who know the area and help coordinate relief efforts. Helping those in need is one way we witness God's mercy. We love because Christ loved us first. The Reverend Mike Meyer, manager of Lutheran Disaster Response, is my guest today on World Lutheran News Digest. And now today's Fast Track. I'm Sarah Golseth with news in brief of interest to Lutherans worldwide. The countdown begins to the Trinity Lutheran Playground case at the Supreme Court. The case will be argued on April 19th. The lawsuit will directly impact children who use a playground. Trinity Lutheran was denied a state grant to resurface the playground with a safe material made from recycled tires solely because it is a religious organization. The gasoline-fueled fire that damaged the doors of the education building at Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Kansas City on Saturday, March 4th was caught early. A blessing acknowledges Pastor Bradley Zirkel. Relying on God is what keeps the pastor reaching out to the poor in this gang-plagued inner-city part of Kansas City where he has served since his seminary graduation 15 years ago. Since then, the 120-member church has been broken into more than a dozen times, an ongoing challenge, the pastor says. The heads of several Lutheran churches in the former Soviet Union recently met together in Ukraine for the Eastern European Bishops' Conference, along with the heads of their North American partner churches. The conference, held in Odessa in late February, was hosted by the German Evangelical Lutheran Church of Ukraine and its bishop. Montana's Senate Bill 97, which bans the application of foreign laws in Montana, passed the Republican-controlled House Judiciary along party lines and will now move to the House floor, Montana Public Radio reported on March 13th. While the legislation does not specifically mention Sharia law, both those in favor and in opposition to the measure have referred to it in hearings as the Sharia law bill. Sharia law is what governs Islamic societies in the public square and in the home. A former journalist from St. Louis accused of threatening Jewish organizations nationwide has been indicted in New York on one count of cyberstalking. Juan Thomas's indictment was announced in St. Louis. He's been jailed in Missouri since his March 3rd arrest. Prosecutors allege Thompson made threats against at least eight Jewish community centers, schools, or other facilities in an effort to harass an ex-girlfriend. They say in some cases he emailed threats using the woman's name. In others, he used his own name, but asserted she was trying to falsely implicate him. This is World Lutheran News Digest. This is the Lutheran Varta Parivadi Agunu. This is Lutheran Samachar. I'm Kip Allen, host of World Lutheran News Digest. My guest today is the Reverend Michael Meyer, and he's with Lutheran Disaster Relief. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about with that. 
Pastor, uh, tell me a bit about yourself and about the, the disaster relief program. Uh, yeah, Kip, thanks for having me on the program here today. Uh, I serve as the manager of disaster response for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and in this capacity, I help uh, kind of coordinate our church body's relief efforts uh, in the time of disaster. We also provide preparedness training, and we might talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but in particular, you know, we had a we had an EF4 tornado go through Perryville, Missouri, about a week and a half ago now, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it was quite a devastating event for the community because it's not a very large community, about eight to 9,000 uh, uh, family or uh, uh, citizens there. And about 100 homes, maybe 150 homes were destroyed by this tornado. Roughly 12 of the affected homes were from LCMS members, so members of the congregation. Well, I saw photos and it was just the houses were gone. It wasn't that they were damaged, that they were gone. Yeah, that's the that's the real mark of when you know it's a, a large, powerful tornado and it's an EF4 or even an EF5, is that it's not just roofs gone or attics missing, but it's the entire home. So you get there and you just see a slab that's left. And one of the things that uh, has really struck me is how quickly we were able to move, we being the Senate, were able mm-hmm. to get there on the ground with help. How did that work? Well, we worked with President Lee Hagan of the Missouri District to uh, help call in some of our trained volunteer teams that we had in the greater St. Louis area and then outside of the St. Louis area as well. And we worked with the local congregation there uh, who kind of made some connections for these teams with members to get the, 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 the contacts so that we knew and we had individuals that we had lined up that we would be able to help in the name of that congregation, Emmanuel Lutheran Church. Uh, and so we had these trained teams from Greater St. Louis. We had given uh, uh, grants in the past for them to put together a disaster response trailer. And we did that with the help of the Lutheran Women's Missionary League through a grant that they gave to us in a partnership. And we gave out uh, 26 trailers across the United States. Uh, and one of them was in uh, uh, Arnold, Missouri. And they had a trained team willing and ready to come down. And, and they brought down about, uh, I'd say about 30 to 35 volunteers from across the St. Louis area were able to come down on short notice, which is a kind of a an impressive number when you think about uh, getting three days notice and then everybody kind of giving up uh, what they had already planned for a beautiful Saturday Oh yeah, uh, to, to give up that time to drive a couple of hours away and for to help those that were in need. Well, we already had boots on the ground, essentially, because we had, the, we had the congregation there. They knew who was affected. They knew what was going on. And when, the, uh, when we came in, they were ready for us. And that's one of the unique things about LCMS disaster response, that we work through local congregations. We have those vocational contacts of individuals who are not only affected, but also the, the connections locally to for equipment and supplies and those kind of things. They're already there in the local congregations, and we're, we're simply going to, to help them lift up and increase their capacity uh, and 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 do work in their name, in the name of Christ. These trailers intrigue me. Uh, one of the reasons I, I mentioned that uh, was before I came back to St. Louis after a 40-year absence, I spent uh, a lot of time in Palm Springs, California, uh, about 16 years, which, as you know, is earthquake country. Uh, Palm Springs is located about four miles from the San Andreas Fault. And the local city government there, in uh, conjunction with the Agua Caliente Indian tribe, set up a series of disaster trailers throughout the area 
preparation for when that one hits with medical supplies, water, food, things like that. Is this what we've been doing? Yeah, it's similar to that. It has uh, so it's a basic six by twelve foot trailer, and then um, uh, inside of it has basic cleanup equipment. It might have chainsaws, those kind of things. Now, the program that we were giving out these grants for has actually ended, so we're not giving out any more of them, uh, unless, of course, your community has been affected by a disaster, and then we might work with providing a trailer and some equipment there locally to provide that kind of continued and sustained response. But, but we think that it's it's good for that 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 use. Disaster, but we also encourage that this kind of become a regular part of a, a mercy ministry in a congregation. That it that it doesn't just sit there collecting dust, waiting for something to happen, but that is conti- just uh, constantly put into use by helping out the homebound or the shut-ins in the co- in the congregation and community, cleaning up their yards, helping them uh, do some of that uh, regular uh, debris removal. Although we wouldn't regular, we wouldn't call it that. It would just be kind of cleanup for those that aren't able to do it. Uh, that youth groups can do, other men's groups in, in the congregation, but to, you know that regular monthly or even bi-monthly use of this equipment to help the community uh, throughout the entire year. And you know, there's a lot the individual can do as well, uh, which we can spread. You know, we can help spread the word for. As I mentioned, I lived in earthquake country. And I had my little survival kit. That's right, a go bag, I'm sure. Uh, a go bag with, with various and sundry things. Now that I'm in tornado country. <laughs> yeah, it looks a little different. <laughs> it looks a little different, but again, I still have my, uh, I've still got my little go bag and stocked up with uh, dried foods and things like that. So I can, and, yeah, there's and, and plenty water. of things that uh, that individuals and families can do to simply be prepared for. You know, we think about uh, well, we we just had some uh, snow here this week in St. Louis. If you know, if the power goes out for 12 or 24 hours, or there's a water main break that you, and you need water in your house, yeah. and these things are kind of regular occurrences. Even though it's not our our community was devastated by a tornado or a a, a far-reaching flood or something like that, but just regular occurrences that. It's it's helpful to have batteries, flashlights, uh, food, uh, water that, that can sustain you and your family. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is that you would need if you have young children, it's obviously a little different. Uh, but you, you're still going to need food and water and some of those basic things for 24 hours or 48 hours that if, if you're uh, somehow – stuck in your neighborhood because your car won't start or because yeah. the the trees are down and you can't get out how just uh, taking those steps to take care of yourself and your family in california we used to figure at minimum of 72 hours before relief would would be available mm-hmm. yeah and some of those areas uh 72 hours three days or maybe even four days mm-hmm. in an area that you know that is earthquake prone and if something happens a bridge collapses and it's going to be a lot longer before help comes in because there's a lot of people that are going to need help too and they can't help everybody at the same time yeah, that's true um i was uh years ago i was in a hurricane i used to live down on the gulf coast before i went up to california yeah <laughs> you've been everywhere in disaster <laughs> oh, country <laughs> hey you know in this business you're a white collar migrant worker <laughs> uh but i was a uh, i was in a hurricane down in uh, mobile alabama and it was devastating and it was days and days before any kind of relief really got in i mean even the national guard wasn't able to get at us because mm-hmm. the damage is so bad and um that's where I learned about preparedness because all I had with me was one can of bean dip <laughs> and fortunately I had a gallon of water. Well, uh, I'm sure that was a lifesaver right there. Oh, it was. It was because everything, everything was gone. 
everything. I mean, the, the water mains were gone, uh, electricity was gone, mm-hmm. you name it, it was gone. So it helps. Yeah, and that was the that was what uh, uh, residents in New Orleans were facing after Hurricane Katrina, mm-hmm. after a, a, a disaster. The scope and the size of that that you could drive for fifty miles and and still not be able to find uh, a gallon of gas or uh, or a gallon of water that's available to you. So if you had those in your home uh, accessible uh, to you. Then, then you're going to be in a far better position to take care of your family and maybe to take care of your, some of your neighbors and share with mm-hmm. them, too. Absolutely. What, what is the procedure when a disaster hits? Let's say for the sake of argument that we get a, uh, uh, another tornado in another part of the country or uh, an earthquake. Now, we send uh, actually an initial team goes out to determine what's required, what's needed. How does that work? Well, every disaster is just a little bit different. Sometimes we provide what we call on-site assessment. Uh, Sometimes that's done simply over the phone where we communicate with the district president of of where it occurred and the the district disaster response coordinator who acts as a liaison between the district and us. Uh, And then sometimes we'll we'll reach out directly to congregations in an affected area. And then if it's determined that it would be helpful for us to come and, and visit with them and leaders in the district, we'll do that. And we've done that. Uh, dozens and dozens of times over the last several years. But we always want to try and be the as uh, uh, as godly stewards of the, the resources that we have, in particular financial resources, that if it doesn't necessitate our going out to visit, we, we won't do that. But if it does, for the sake of this conversation, uh, we'll, we'll go and we'll visit. Uh, we'll, we'll sit with leaders in the congregation and district leaders and help them put together kind of an action plan. Uh, for uh, for response in the community. So looking at all of the different needs that have uh, come about because of the disaster and maybe the different resources that are there locally, how can the Lutherans fit in? What's the niche that we can find that, you know, the, the needs that aren't being met, that the, that the Lutherans can come in and provide that need? And so we'll help put together that action plan. Uh, and it looks different just about every single time for every disaster because it's based on the strengths of the uh, and, and the resources there locally. And how can we then increase those uh, through disaster response grants uh, that we're able to provide so that maybe they can uh, do more in their name than they otherwise would have been able to have done? We give out uh, anywhere between one and a half and two and a half million dollars in disaster response grants every single year. And that's straight to congregations to do ministry in their name. Well, there, there was the, uh, that terrible typhoon in the Philippines a couple, three years ago. And I know that we were very active in the relief efforts in the island of Leyte there. Yeah, we were. We worked with the local churches there. Uh, there were three uh, three churches uh, on Leyte Island and the, the Lutheran Church in the Philippines. And we gave several hundred thousand dollars in grants uh, to the Lutheran Church in the Philippines. Now, when we work internationally, it's a, it's a little different. We won't give a grant to a, an individual congregation, but we'll give it to the church body. Uh, so that they then are able to uh, equitably make sure that uh, those in the uh, in their church body are taken care of. If we well, give it straight to a single church, it sometimes creates jealousy and animosity. We we don't want to get into that. Well, I was talking to uh, to Pam Nielsen from our communications mm-hmm. department. She was part of the initial assessment team that had yeah, gone out was. there, and she told some 
incredible stories. I mean, they had to hire uh, a special boat to get out to the island because all the communications were gone. Yeah, and, and they were actually there before any any local authorities were. Yeah, the air, the airport was actually closed, uh, so you you couldn't fly in. They weren't taking in relief uh, uh, items just yet uh, through the airport, and so we did get on a boat, and we came, we we arrived into the the island, and it was all dark and smelly because people were start, already starting to burn some of their uh, their trash and debris, and so you smelled the island before you saw it because it was dark. You know, there was a, a lot of experiences there that I'm never going to forget, uh, and I know Pam won't either. Yeah. I remember another uh, interview I did some years ago. Tsunami in the uh, Indonesia, and uh, the efforts were there and continued. And it went beyond just the local Christian or Lutheran people. It, it went to all the people there, which is, you know, is predominantly Muslim. And I spoke to uh, one of the missionaries who was, at, who was in, on the island of Java. And he said that after things started to calm down a little bit, uh, a group of the local uh, Muslim clerics, the leaders had gone to him and said, and asked why we did this. You know, he said, you know, why are you helping us? We're not Christians. We're not your people. And he responded, we're doing it because we are Christians. And yes, you are our people. Yeah. And, and you bring up an interesting point here. While we work through local congregations and through those local Lutherans, it's not just the local Lutherans that we're seeking to provide help and assistance for. We want to make sure that all those affected in the, in the, in the community, whether they're uh, Lutheran, Christian, or Hindu, Muslim, whatever, that we're able to reach out to them and provide for them in their bodies. And there may be opportunities to, to share the love of Christ uh, at those times when they come and ask, why are you, why are you doing this? Well, we love, we love because Christ first loved us and we want, we want you to be cared for. And ultimately we want you to hear the gospel and then turn from these false beliefs. But that's not going to be contingent upon us helping you in your body. We want to make sure that you are cared for, uh, because we're, I mean, frankly, we're, we're, we're called to do that as Christians. Because yeah, I know uh, one of the things that, again, was brought out with the uh, tsunami in, in Indonesia was that the Muslim charities would only work with Muslims. They would not work with non-Muslims. And, of course, that was a, that was a, a problem uh, for, the non, for the non-Muslim population there. And, again, it shows, I think, as you just pointed out, you know, the love of Christ. You know, we, we do this because... God loves us. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly, if nothing else, that is showing a wonderful witness to Christianity. It is. And and those who are showing relief and, and help and assistance are overwhelmingly Christian. Um, I've, uh, in all of the disaster response sites that I've been to, I, I've never come across a, a Muslim disaster response group. Uh, when we were in the Philippines, we saw a couple of tarps, those kind of things that uh, uh, that that came from the the, the Muslim response. But it was uh, such a small percentage. And here in the United States, I haven't had any inter- interaction with them. And of course, there's a lot of secular groups out there that do great work, and and not just the Red Cross and the Salvation Army, but there's uh, there's other groups as well, uh, a Rub- a Team Rubicon that that are very active, and they engage. Uh, 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 retired and uh, uh, military members uh, in providing relief through volunteering and that kind of thing. Uh, and there's other groups as well, a lot and a lot of secular groups, but most of them uh, are 
Christian-based. And another issue that I wanted to raise on this is that obviously Mercy Mission, Disaster Relief Mission is a major, major role of the Missouri Synod. It's a role of the Christian churches, period. And we get a lot of criticism from the secular side on how churches are tax-exempt, that we're not paying our fair share. Yet this is how we pay our fair share. And the money that we're not paying in taxes goes to things like this. Yeah, I mean, you you know, it's not a it's not a one for one. As if they're looking at the the, the account lines and say, all right, this is the the fifteen percent we would have spent on taxes, and everybody earmarks it, and now we're going to spend it over here. But we recognize that that so many other things that the church body does would be cut if we would did have to pay taxes. And that would include not just disaster response, but all of those other mercy ministries, all those other things that we are uh, doing to provide for our neighbor in their bodies. Um, so, I mean, uh, well, just, example, it's amazing the, to see the, the ability of the church to, to reach out and, and give like this. Well, for example, we work on the on malaria abatement. We have mm-hmm. uh, mercy mission, uh, medical missions that go out to Africa and other third world countries. Yeah and provide medical care. Uh, we provide uh, things, for example, like uh, medicated netting to help people in, disa- in uh, malaria-stricken areas. Uh, we were very active in that uh, Ebola outbreak in West Africa. Yeah, we gave a number of grants to our Lutheran partners in West Africa and Liberia uh, and, and the other countries out there uh, to... Uh, to was part of it was education for them on on how to how to keep the spread of this disease down so, and that some of it was actual uh, supplies for cleaning so n- not just hand sanitizer but hand washing stations how to use those things and mm-hmm. it's a, in some of these countries it's a, it's an education process because it's it's culturally uh, different for what their practice was they don't regularly wash their hands or they they uh, uh, they regularly eat bush meat or those kind of things well it's an education process to to, to change them and 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 say that this is not the healthiest thing and it actually increases the the spread of that, or even when in, in, in Madagascar, uh, having been there before and seeing how uh, uh, all of, well, so many of them have breathing issues uh, uh, in Madagascar as they get into their 30s, 40s, and 50s, but then you sit down and you look in their homes and you say, well, they're, they're doing all of their cooking on an open fire inside their home with no chimney and so all oh, the smoke boy. is just going in their homes and so then it becomes an education process of saying well maybe there's a better way to vent this so that 20 years from now you won't be going to the clinic and uh complaining of being shortness of breath and emphysema and all these other things because uh it's an edu- it's a different culture it's, so education is a big part of it is there a resentment factor there when when you come in and say gee you know this is why you're getting sick you here's a better way to do it I don't know if there's so much of a resentment factor to it as much as um, um, almost an unbelief uh, that uh, uh, surely this isn't. This is the way that our parents did it, grandparents, great-grandparents. They've always done it. Um, and so for many of them, there's a disbelief that that's actually what's what's causing it. Well, and so there's, there might be something else. And, and there's a lot of other factors there with, with uh, pollution going on in, in some of these other countries that, that are from other, other areas. But when you, when, you, when you walk into the homes and there's smoke billowing out from, from uh, cooking oatmeal in the morning or rice, right, uh, that, uh, uh, that, that certain steps could be taken and their health would just uh, be so much better uh, if they were to do it. Well, I know uh, one of the big issues, of course, is clean water. 
which is quite rare, really, in many parts of the world. And this is another thing that we are active in in the, in the Senate is to, is bringing in water, bringing in water wells, things like that. And that's a that's a great point to bring up because uh, in our response in Haiti after Hurricane Matthew, and this is just uh, a hurricane that came through, I think it was in September of this last year. Well, one of the things that we've been working on in the western part of Haiti is there were about 50, else, uh, 50 Lutheran churches that were affected by the tornado that were almost completely destroyed. So we worked at putting back roofs on the homes for the pastors. So 50 pastors got new roofs on their homes. We're working on putting together the, the roofs on the churches there in Haiti. And then we're also work partnering with a, an NGO or a non-governmental organization uh, uh, based here in the United States uh, to go down there and, and dig deep water wells uh, for these same 50 churches. And so the churches kind of become a community center where everybody in the community goes to for this fresh, clean water that's uh, uh, going to help uh, and has helped uh, reduce the spread of cholera and other waterborne illnesses in these communities after the disaster. So we're able to provide this kind of this uh, in one sense, a life-giving water, but also connected to the local church where, you know, we have Jesus with the water at the well. Come to me, all you who are thirsty and heavy, you mm-hmm. know, uh, that, uh, and I will give you water, which will quench that thirst. So it's, it has that very clear connection to that local Lutheran church there. Ask and you shall receive. Amen. <laughs> Pastor, we're just about out of time. Is there anything that you'd like to uh, mention or to bring up about our disaster relief, about our mission work this way? Yeah, we have over 14,000 trained volunteers in the LCMS in our Lutheran Early Response Team training. Uh, and you can contact us at disaster at lcms.org if you're interested in receiving this training. It's a one that provides training and congregation preparedness. Uh, it goes And it goes over kind of the, some of these reasons. Why is it important for the church to respond in a, uh, not just disaster, but, but to any kind of suffering? So why... Why is the church doing this? And then what what might look different about a church's response versus uh, a secular response? Because there are differences. Uh, and so what, what might look different there? So we talk about that, and then we talk about the actual volunteering. So how can your congregation and, and members in your congregation become involved after a disaster, whether it's local? Or whether it's a hundred miles away or a couple hundred miles away, uh, we can we can talk about and go over those differences and and then build build each other up in the process. Well, thank you very much, and this is what God's mercy is. You're welcome. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2:30 p.m. and again at 9:30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.